You are listening to www.infinitesmile.org. Enjoy these uninspired talks given by Michael McAllister, followed up by question and answer exchanges with groups of his students. One of Zen's heavy hitters is Bodhidharma, and what he really brought into this practice was an unflinching, uncompromising, mythic resolve to just sitting. And while the the history isn't so important, I think what has been attributed to his, uh, you know, form and way of expressing the Dharma, I think it is critical. One of his uh, great quotes is, since in the Dharma there is fundamentally nothing to withhold, the wise practice generosity, giving their bodies, lives, and possessions without any regret in their minds. Fully understanding the emptiness of giver, receiver, and gift, they do not fall into bias or attachment. Attachment itself is what can freak us out if we listen to this quote quickly, or just with, with, uh, uh, with real careful ears. Immediately, ego goes, wait a minute, time out, time out, time out, time out. We should just give everything away freely. Sounds like a cult to me. This is bad. Buddhism is bad. All, you know, Dharma teachers are evil. Okay, okay, fine. Is that really what he's saying? I mean, I guess you could interpret it. Egos could interpret it that way. I certainly would recommend that we see way past that into where Bodhidharma is actually pointing the place beyond his words he is saying we cannot attach to anything we can't truly be possessive of anything either ourselves our group our family our state our nation our world our universe you can't possess it we can't hang on to it We can't hang on to anything. And so the wise, those who have practiced this knowing of deep union, total singularity, those who have practiced this recognize there isn't really anything to grip onto anyway. As such, what is there except surrender? And what a beautiful thing the surrender is. Because what surrender really is, is play. This means that following Bodhidharma's words, instead of from a contracted sense, but from an open position, we can recognize that all he is saying is play. Have fun with everything that arises, with each circumstance, no matter how glorious or horrific, be there with it fully. And know that it and all things are temporary. 
Therefore, there is emptiness in the giver, the receiver, and the gift. And nothing can really fall into bias or attachment if we approach our lives from this place. When we act from this place of surrender, as I say all the time, um, when we allow whatever is happening to truly happen and we act from this openness, not only are we enacting compassion that all the Buddhas have ever talked about, but we are working from a deep place within us that we can call our soul And when you do things from your soul, says Rumi, you feel a river moving in you, a joy. Say that one again. When you do things from your soul, you feel a river moving in you, a joy. This is play. This is also awakening. Because this river can't help but lead directly into the ocean of spirit. So assuming we have the courage to surrender to the flow of this river, no matter what circumstance arises, no matter what our situation, if we can surrender to the flow of this river, we have the opportunity to meet spirit consciously. This is awakening. And we can uncover this awakening in very, very simple ways. For one, we can practice deep awareness through our days. Every single day, just practice being totally awake to what it is like to eat, to drink, to speak, to drive, to listen to the radio while you drive. Can we be fully conscious as we negotiate our day with all the other influences, the other circumstances, the other people, can we negotiate in a way that is totally aware, totally conscious? Can we be awake when we find ourselves resisting what is? Can we be awake when we find those that are close to us resisting us? Can we be awake as we meet love? In or through another? In or through ourselves? In or through an experience? Can we consciously meet love? Can we watch all of it 
with total curiosity. This is awakening. How about when we practice really deep, authentic listening? Can we listen to the silence and then embody that silence? With each step, can we just repeat, I am peace. Can we have a relationship with silence that is deeply conscious so that the silence that is spirit can inform the silence that we manifest as we put butter on our toast? Can we practice deep sharing with all things since all form is merely separated and bound by our minds? Deep sharing with all form leads us into the river of the soul that moves within each of us, whether we know it or not, and leads us from our bodies to our minds, to our souls, and offers us a direct path then to spirit. And from this point, from this apprehension of spirit, from this touching the face of God with a tender hand, from this recognition with a capital R that is beyond cognition itself of spirit, we can bring the entire universe into each moment with our tears, with our smiles, with our words, and with our presence. This is awakening, and this is play. I'd like to try something a little different tonight. I'd like to pair up and we're going to pair, hopefully, with people that we don't know super-duper well, just because this way is how we can make friends. We can be also very much alive to any type of tension that we feel in relationship to that. We can use this practice. We can become peace in that moment. Okay? I know many of you are good friends, so it probably isn't going to work, but still. The idea here is to, with another, can you sit? quietly, just for a moment, and then I'd like each person to answer two questions. What is my heaven on earth? What is my hell on earth? What I'd like you to think about now, as you've had this meeting, what we're doing is we're actually, this is a little micro, microcosm of practice. You've had this meeting with each other, what questions arise? Not what can you hang on to. Not what you can hang on to from that interchange. 
but what questions arise from your heart? Not for them, but from your heart. What questions arise? This is jumping into the river. The questioning. The meeting happens. The, oh. And immediately what mind wants to do is categorize, quantify, put, file away, and do, do all that, right? Instead of allowing that to take root, to solidify and become a codified scenario, circumstance, open it up. Let it become an ultimate life. That happens the minute you allow it to just be there. Allow the question to arise just like a flower blooms. What's there? So I was telling my teammates, what, the first thing that I thought of when you said, what is your heaven? I just thought about how a few hours before I came here, how my year and a half old son climbed up on a couch next to me while I was watching TV and just leaned against me. <laughs> and that felt really good. You yeah. Know? And then like I keep playing, you know, of course I'm going to remember that for a long time. So is that attachment? Trying uh, to preserve that just yeah, that moment? If you try to preserve it. Yeah, because it can't be preserved. But it can always be there. Okay? And the practice here is to allow those moments of profound love to fill you in ways that are ever deepening. Uh, that scenario that you described there as heavenly, certainly, I mean, I think every one of us can just kind of go, oh, yeah, absolutely, right? But you can also begin to uncover that type of tenderness for your mailman, for your boss who's a total jerk, okay? That's the practice. So... The, the tender moment that you had is a reminder that that's all there is. That tenderness is a reminder of the present moment. It's a reminder of the now where there's no past, there's no future. There's just, oh, oh my God. This feels really good. I promise you, you're going to get more. You'll get tons more of that. Not only where it came from, but where you don't expect it. If you can open to it. And the opening to it is what I talked about in tonight's, tonight's quick, quick talk. Can we deeply listen? And also, I did notice that um, being attached to that can even, even such a, like you said, a, a loving, tender moment. Yeah. Because then, you know, the next thing, not, not immediately the next thing I thought of, but like as I think through that moment, then other thoughts arise, such as, you know, what if anything happens to him? Mm -hmm. How's he going to grow up? Are we always going to be this close? Yeah. Then, you know, that's definitely negative. <laughs> well, it, but if it's wonder, if it's wonder, it's not negative. If it's, if it's instead of being wonder, like, huh, wow. If instead it's like, oh, damn, 
right? One is ego. One is beyond ego. One is soul. Okay? And soul is what we ride to spirit. Wonder is what we ride to aha. Okay? And so recognizing fully that every one of those moments that you have is fleeting. My dad at my own wedding, it was so cute. He said, uh, uh, he goes, one thing I, I, I realized in raising you, Mike, first of all, is that there's no recipe to raise a kid. And the second thing I learned is, God, don't blink. <laughs> Boom, it happens that fast. And it really does. Get ready. You know? Yeah. And when I say get ready, it, uh, that's not like just get ready to, to let go of everything along the way. It's get ready to, in that surrender, gain even more. Gain without gaining. It's nothing substantial. It's just a profound opening that your child, that your relationship to all things can help you expand into and from and through. That's the river to spirit. It's a joy. Um, thinking about your question and having this exchange with John about this makes me wonder. I, I don't want to get intellectual, so I don't know how to phrase this. But basically, what is your heaven? What is your hell? What is your attachment? What are you avoiding? There's, I want to ask a question about dualistic thought. I'm going to step back. We can say that about every moment of our experience. What is my relationship to the MI? I mean, that's, that's like machine language. That's question mark. Is that... <laughs> um, I'm loving this. I have no idea where it's going. But <laughs> but I mean, I could say right now, Am I attaching to this, or am I avoiding? What am I avoiding? What am I? I you could just go through the whole day, and come up with where you're at, right? Yeah. Yep. Very good, Paul. You could go through your whole day, asking that question at every inhalation. What am I craving? Exhalation. What am I avoiding? Do I want this conversation to end now? Mm -hmm. Do I want to prolong it? Mm -hmm. Do I want to keep the microphone? Do I want to pass it on? Sure. Do I want to grab? Right. Uh, and what you're doing there is you're studying the I. Yeah. You're studying what's more, the tendency for the I to, what was the very next word in each one of those? Right. Want. Right? You're studying attachment when you do that because it's I want more or I want less. Right? right? And so if every inhalation is uh, what am I wanting or every exhalation is what am I wanting less of, same thing is what am I craving, what am I avoiding. If every single breath is that study, what happens is the studying of the self under that microscope frees the self into spirit. Spirit becomes 
what watches the self go through this. Spirit is what is studying. <laughs> and it doesn't involve thought. It's experiential, but it is beyond words. Poetry gets close sometimes, but it becomes a way for every single step to touch the ground with tenderness. We become peace because there's no more we becoming. It's just peace. It's just love. It's just spirit. And then we breathe again. And start all over again. Yep. Follow the yellow brick road. <laughs> yes, it starts all over again, continually. But it's always only ever starting over in this moment, which is all there ever is. And there's a certain quality to that ever-isness that greases the wheels so they don't skid so much okay it becomes a deepening of practice to the point where it becomes much more effortless when ego's resistance patterns have given way to the next step which is surrender right so from resistance or the skidding or the greasy or the uh, uh, squeaky wheels our practice loosens those up so that they flow smoothly and while we start all over again in every single moment at every single breath there is a deepening of the grace and ease and an increasingly there is less effort that is extended from a place of contraction and a m deeper effortlessness that comes from expansion this is why we can see in people, we can see an embodiment of something rich and something deep. And it's not always, it's, it's not always spiritual awakening in the typical sense. It happens, I mean, for me, it happened when I, I watched, uh, you know, incredible basketball played, you know, at Madison Square Garden, right on the floor. There was no mind in their art. They were beyond, and it, it pulled on something in me. Continually does. Whenever I see, you know, great athletics, great work on, a, on the stage, great performance of any kind, it comes from a place that is beyond the contraction. It comes from the expanse. And it pulls at every one of the strings on our heart, that thousand-stringed instrument that is tuned by love. That's what happens. <laughs> Sometimes. Unless it's Cal. Unless it's Berkeley, right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, thanks a lot. Right there. <laughs> Cal football has been very good for my uh, practice the last few weeks. <laughs> so, bringing this into enlightenment, the question I have is the awakening that we're talking about is the moment, the every moment experiencing the awakening that is occurring. Is that the state of enlightenment? 
Enlightenment isn't a state. Okay. The mind loves to think of it as a state. <laughs> no, the, I, I'm sorry, I didn't hear. That was a joke. Never well, mind. I missed it totally. <laughs> yeah, it's a Canadian province. It's a Canadian province, uh, right. Okay. It's a state. Where, okay, well, go for it. It's not a state. Okay. Enlightenment is not a state. Enlightenment is a continual unfolding. The mind wants to think of it as a state. The mind wants to think of it as an endpoint. The mind wants to own it. The mind wants to categorize, quantify, qualify, give words to it. Absolutely. And it never will because it's precisely what gets in the way. That's the block. That's the wall. Okay. Every bit of the thing that we call the eye sense. Unless we follow that eye sense to its core, we're playing games, okay? But we're playing games in the realm of ego as opposed to the realm of love, okay? We're playing games in the realm of contraction as opposed to jumping into the river and letting it take us to the oceanic experience of spirit. We're fighting the current, we're fighting the river, we're damming the river, we're doing whatever we can, as long as there is an I in the mix. Okay. So our way out of that, if you're curious, yes. watch the I. Watch every single thing about you that wants something or wants to avoid something. I want that, I don't want that. Watch that experience. Develop a relationship with that experience that is not bound by the experience. So that the experience of craving and aversion don't bind you. You don't, in other words, become that experience. That in you which can observe it slowly but surely develops an expansive pull and reorients and supplants the contracted egoic sense with something that can watch every bit of the egoic grasping and the egoic aversion. That's when we, we begin to get into the river. The Enlightenment experience itself, that recognition with the capital R that is beyond cognition, so it's not really a recognition, but it's just kind of a okay? That's something that it's different for everybody, I'm sure. It comes in moments, and I'm sure it's come in moments for everybody sitting in this room. But it will never gain traction unless the block is studied. Another way of looking at this is to recognize that the river is going to have stones in it. Those stones are egoic attachment. That river can never run smoothly unless those attachments are moved off to the side. And when that happens, there's a stilling of that river, okay? And at that point, we can see to the bottom of it. And that is not always comfortable. It's particularly uncomfortable for ego, which wants to own it, which wants to show, which wants to prove, which wants to be somebody, be something. And it's precisely the opposite of that impulse the opposite of that impulse, the allowance, the deep allowing of all things, of all scenarios, of all circumstances that allows us to live an ultimate life. 
an ultimate life where we integrate awakening, play with all aspects of our being. So does anybody in that state go through the struggles? Sure, but well, there... I guess it's not a state. It's a, it's a, it's a movement or a... It's a way to meet life. And the way life is met from the enlightened context is that troubles occur. But they're not troubles. They're circumstances. Why turn them into troubles? Ego, ego loves to turn them into troubles because then it has a job. Instead of problems or troubles arising, circumstances arising that are then met in the present moment, okay, with a presence, with a being that is not bound by past or future, or another way of saying that, we are no longer identified with our thoughts that we bring to a particular circumstance. We respond freely. We are free functioning. And in that free function, the response is appropriate because it's not bound by ego. Do you cry? Sure. Do you feel? Sure. All those things are actually intensified. But your relationship to all those things has been shifted. It's been shifted from density to light. It's like not letting them hit you in the chest, but step, stepping and watching them go by. No. Watching them go right through you. Okay. Because the eye is not there. There's nothing to step aside. You can't step aside. Okay. Thanks for coming. <laughs>